One of the greatest mysteries in history is how did a first century cult birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire, whose leader was rejected by his own people and then crucified, survive and thrive in the face of violent, organized, state-funded resistance? How is it that a Nazarene sect would ultimately be embraced by the very empire that for 300 years sought to extinguish it? This is a mystery historians have pondered for generations. Uh, one historian writes, against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. And then here's the statement. We still do not really understand how this came about. And yet two millennia later, on the other side of the world, here we are. And we don't understand how this came about unless we pay attention to and take seriously the eyewitness testimonies of the men and the women who were there for these events and eventually documented them for the entire world. Sandwiched between the temple and the empire, this movement, this little movement began in Galilee with a nobody day laborer we know as Jesus of Nazareth. It's astonishing that anything about him survived, but it did. And what's even more amazing is he actually predicted it. Sandwiched in this, he predicted this. Gathered with his guys, one day his guys asked him, what is the word on the street about me? They said, well, some think you're a reincarnated prophet. He said, well, you guys have been with me for a little while. Who do you say that I, I am? And Peter finally gets an answer right. And he makes this extraordinary statement. He says, we believe that you are God's chosen one, the one that we have been waiting for, the Christ, God's anointed final king, that we believe in some way that you are somehow the son of God. And Jesus smiles. They had no idea how epic this moment was. Jesus says, you're right, Peter. And on that statement that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, on that rock, I will build my Greek term, ecclesia, my movement, my assembly, my congregation, my gathering. The word church should never have appeared in our, Germ in, in our English Bible because it's a German word that got superimposed, meaning a place, a building or a place of God. But Jesus was talking about a gathering, a people, a movement, and ecclesia. And of course they were like, with the 12 of us? Like seriously? We're scared to death half the time. We don't really like each other that much. And, and, and Jesus says, no, it's going to happen. And the gates of Hades, and for them Hades was just a place of the dead. It represented death. Jesus is saying, and death will not overcome it. Guys, I'm going to start something new, and my death won't stop it. Peter, your death won't stop. John, Matthew, you, you have some books, some letters to write, but your, your death won't stop it. Guys, this new movement that we are about to begin together, nothing is going to stop it. And these young men that were gathered with Jesus on that day, they had no idea what an epic moment in time that this was. And that same group of men would document why. Because Jesus did not do what every other dead person did. He did not stay dead. And that was when the movement began, not before. And Jesus' statement was, it's one of the most amazing of all Bible prophecies because we are the fulfillment of it. Yet when he made this statement, and when these documents were written, Jesus was clearly either a liar or a lunatic to talk like this. But as we can see, he's correct. He was right. 
And during his time on this earth, he inaugurated his upside-down kingdom come, God's kingdom come to earth, where all the values were flipped upside down. It would transcend the physical world and become a kingdom of hearts and conscience that began on the inside of a person and began to live its way out and impacted the world. And in the end, to give us the clearest picture of how upside down his kingdom was, he would lay down his life for his subjects rather than requiring his subjects to lay their lives down for him. And then Jesus would call on his followers to follow his, his example and to lay their lives down for one another just like he did for us. And he laid the foundation of our modern assumptions regarding equality, dignity, freedom, liberty, safety, inherent human value. He said, this is to be your mark, your brand, your distinctive. You are, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. You're to love one another in such a practical, visible, unconditional, sacrificial, noteworthy way that the rest of the world takes notice and says, I don't know what that is, but I want some of that. He said, and you're to love your neighbors the way that I have loved you. And, fellas, you might need to sit down for this one. Just because someone considers you their enemy does not mean you need to consider them or treat them as your enemy. No, you are to love them as I have loved you. And it was this new covenant brand of love that began to change the world. And as the citizens of the Roman Empire began to internalize and embrace this, the world and the empire began to change and something unprecedented happened. Something that we don't think could happen again happened. To quote Bart Ehrman, he's a famous New Testament scholar and an atheist in his book, The Triumph of Christianity. Here's how he writes it. Christianity not only took, not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. See, Christianity grew from a faith of a few hundred people to over 30 million people in under 400 years. By the year 400, half of the Roman Empire's 60 million people believed in Jesus Christ. He continues, it was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, music, philosophy, and again, as an atheist, he makes a profound observation. He says, and on an even more fundamental level, it transformed and changed the very understanding billions of people had about what it even means to be human. Because for the first time, people outside of Judaism began to understand and believe there is a God, a God that created me, and that same God created you, that we are created by God. And then he says this, how everyone evaluates the merits of the case, no one can deny. And what every secular historian has arrived at in terms of conclusion. The ancient triumph of Christianity proved to be the single greatest cultural transformation the world has ever seen. Now here's why I tell you this. Because if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, we are stewards of that movement. In other words, the responsibility... For this generation of the church and the faith of the next generation, it's in our hands. Now, one of the things that I love about New Life and our community, and those of you that are part of it, is how many of you take this very seriously. So many of you, you have drunk the Kool-Aid, 
Okay, you are fully brought in, bought into our vision to be a catalyst for spiritual and social change, to help people find and follow Jesus, to create a community where people can belong before they believe. And you have not only engaged in the life of our church and what we do on the weekends, so many of you have engaged in serving and walking alongside others during the week. Many of you have participated in our past work with ICTSOS, with Project Laundry, last March with our work in Ukraine and in Poland. Many of you have provided meals for those who are sick or have had major life events, like a birth of a child. Many of you, for example, have worked to support one of our founding families, uh, Chris and Jenny Miller and their sons. Just so you know, they had a really rough week this week and worked to support especially their little guy, Andrew. That's what this, this shirt is about. You've seen some of us wearing them. Uh, the, the awesome thing about this shirt is it was uh, actually designed by one of their small group members that helped create and design it for them to help ultimately raise money for the multi-thousands of dollars of treatment that this young boy needs to have the best quality of life possible. And our community rallies around that. As he battles, uh, because he was born in 2020 premature, he's got many battles, including cerebral palsy. Many of you have engaged in the discipline of generosity and giving financially to New Life to help support all that we do and to help fund all that we hope to accomplish in the future. Many of you have invested yourself into community groups, into small groups. Many of you have taken seriously the challenge that I gave you back in August, that you would be specifically and intentionally investing in the life of someone to help lead them to faith in Jesus Christ that you would be investing in the lives of your unchurched or your dechurched, your agnostic friends and atheist friends and family, so that when the opportunity provides itself, that they will know that you're someone that they can trust to have a spiritual conversation with and to talk about Jesus. We are stewards of the movement that Jesus inaugurated and the responsibility for this generation of the church and the faith of the next generation. It's in our hands, which means that we have a choice to make. One choice that unfortunately I sense that the majority of church people in our country have made, it's the choice to just kind of take from and consume and get what I want or what I need out of it. And I get bonus points if I show up for church on Sunday and I'm, I want to make sure I go to heaven when I die, my children go to heaven and my grandchildren go to heaven when they die and I take a little bit of this and I take a little bit of that, but I don't have time to really be engaged. You know, we can assume and be semi-engaged, if engaged at all, which ultimately leaves the church weaker and sidelined and ineffectual, or we can engage with all that we have to ensure that Jesus, through the ecclesia, through the church, could and would transform lives and serve as the conscience of our community, of our city, and ultimately of our nation, to ultimately influence the conscience of the world where it becomes understood, where in huge swaths of our world it is not understood that every single man and woman and child, regardless of race or nationality or gender or socioeconomic status or political or religious leadings, has inborn dignity based on one fact alone, that they are created by God. It happened once before. It can happen again. But maybe, maybe this time, without all of the dysfunction, corruption that hijacked what Jesus intended. And you're smart people. You read, you pay attention, you know what the experts are saying about the church in America. 
that the church in America is dying and that the pandemic just sped up the process. And you know what? Aspects of what we call the church or call Christianity or call evangelicalism, one of the best things that could happen for the movement of Jesus is for some of those things to die off because they do not reflect the life, the teachings, the call, and the commands of Jesus and the movement that he inaugurated. Do you know who determines whether or not the church is going to be a worthwhile, relevant, vibrant, transformative church for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews? You know, do you know who determines whether or not we reflect the early church that for the first hundreds of years redefined what it even means to be human and how we are to view every human that laid the foundation for the very rights and dignity of every other human being that other countries are fighting for but don't really understand why or where that came from? We decide that. We do. If you're a follower of Jesus entrusted your life and your eternity to Jesus, then that means something huge. It means that you are the church, the ecclesia. You are our church. The next question is, though, will we do it? Will we fulfill our divine mandate? As I said earlier, for many of you, I already know the answer. The answer is yes. Many of you have given yourself to this. Some of you from the very beginning when we first started all this, six years ago. So I felt today was a great opportunity for those of you who have said yes to this divine mandate and for however long you've been here, you've invested yourself for you to be able to hear how you are making a difference in actual lives. So a a couple months ago, I sent out an email to everyone connected to New Life and I just asked this. Has your connection to new life through attending, serving, giving, relationships, and or messages made a difference in your life or the life of someone close to you, a friend or family member? And if so, how? And and here's one of the responses that I received. And this is from Jana Barnes, and I share it with you with permission. Chad, as you know, we have been attending new life since February 2021. Since that time, we have been to many church-wide functions, attended a small group, began attending the women's and men's separate small groups, started serving on the host team, started volunteering in kids' life. As you can all see, they are underachievers. My husband, Will, and I have had many church talks since we met, started when we were dating. I knew he believed in God, and he wasn't sure what it looked like to raise a family with God. We have tried several different churches since we've been together, and he has never really felt like he belonged. When we started having kids, the urgency for finding a church family changed. Having the weight of raising tiny humans without the support of others in the church was an overwhelming void we had in our family. Of course, this void feeling happened with a pandemic going on and made it even more difficult to find the right church. We tried several different churches online and in person. It was a serious struggle. One Saturday night, I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about this void. I prayed to God to just point me in the right direction. Please tell me where we are supposed to be. Help us find the church family we're supposed to be in, to get the support we need, and to offer our gifts and be involved and have God at the center of everything. A church that accepted people for who they are, not 
a place to compare who is doing it right. And one that teaches our children acceptance of all God's people, not teaching hate for particular groups of people. I was honestly thinking this church didn't exist in Wichita. Through my tears and prayers, I decided to open my phone again and look, for, look at churches. I'm not sure what landed me on New Life's website, but that is where I was. Everything I could see on the site was aligned with everything I had in mind for what God wanted for our family. We attended the next morning, and we found our church home. After going that first Sunday, Will said, I really felt like I belonged here, like I fit in, and I can really relate to how the pastor spoke. So apparently I didn't say anything stupid that day. This was the first time he had had this reaction in attending a church. At the same time we were realizing our church family void, we were also realizing how crippling our debt was for our family. Will was already interested in Dave Ramsey, but after reaching out to you, he was really diving into the Ramsey methods to get our family on the right track. Get this, we sold our home and downsized, and we got out of the school loan debt that was crippling our family. We are entertaining the idea of downsizing again to make breathing room even more comfortable. We want to get our family on the right track for generations to come, and we also want to be able to help others when they are in need. We have talked many times about fostering and possibly adoption, and our money situation has really stopped us from being able to look at this more seriously. As we've been growing and changing our family, Will has also sought out his personal spiritual growth and was baptized this past May. There was a very powerful Sunday for me when those of us who had been baptized were to stand, and standing there with Will sitting and not standing was excruciating for me. With the men's group and your guidance, Will has felt empowered to grow spiritually, and that will forever change our family for the better. Our whole family is connected with others in the church, lifelong connections to help us stay on track. Will and I are constantly thinking of people in our life who could benefit from what New Life offers, and we enjoy bringing people to church. We have seen what New Life has done for our family, and we want the same for others that we care about and love. Thank you for creating the place that God had in mind for us to belong and grow in, in a place where we can bring others to be closer to God. Love, Jane and Barnes. Isn't that awesome? And I need you to hear me. Many of you, and you know who you are, who are invested in this community. You helped make that story happen. And countless others that you don't know about. And here's the thing. I want to hear and see stories like this multiplied hundreds of times over. Don't you? It takes me back to the question. Will we be the best stewards of this extraordinary thing that Jesus launched 
and laid his life down for and said, hey, when I'm gone, it's going to be, you, it's, it's in your hands. You can participate or you can ignore it. But one way or another, it's going to move in every generation. And in every generation, there will be a group of people who rise up and go, I'm in. We're in. We are going to do our best to be faithful, to keep it relevant, fresh, and aligned with the heart of Jesus. We're going to keep the main thing the main thing, and we will do our part to make sure that this gets passed on well to the next generation. Will we fulfill our divine mandate? I say yes, but it only happens with all of you, not some of you. To see and hear more stories like I just shared, to see more young people and adults turning to Jesus, to see more singles strengthen in their call as individuals and in their singleness, and couples and families strengthen, it will take all of you. We will not see the next generation equipped with a prevailing faith and a sacrificial love without you, because every one of you is a, who is a Jesus follower, you have an individual important role to play that too often we underestimate. In a letter to the church in Corinth, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, now you, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you, you are a part of it. Together, you are the hands and the feet of Jesus. And he would say to each of us, each of you, in your local expression of the body, you're the body of Christ, each of you has a part in it. It's, you're like, well, I'm busy. I, I prefer to just consume content. Paul's saying that's not how, it's not how it works. He says, so I'll illustrate it this way. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. It's like if any of the body parts go, like, I'm not part of the body anymore. Well, too bad, you, you are. I don't want to be. Well, too bad, you're, you're part of the body. And if the ear should say, I mean, they were laughing. There was humor when they read this. You know, the ear doesn't have a mouth. How's it going to talk? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, or I'm not an eye, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. In other words, if I can't do what I want when I want, if it's not convenient for me, I don't want to be a part. Paul says, that's, that's not how this works. You're attached. Paul summarizes with this statement, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you, you're a part of it. And, and I had an illustration that I've used in the past. I thought about using it today, but I'm not going to do it because we're going to be eating soon. It's a physical illustration of actual jars with body parts in them, okay? A foot, an eye, and a hand. It's very, it, it works really well, but the problem is it's a little too gross right before we eat, okay? A disconnected body part, it's, it's not pretty, it's gross. So Paul is saying, don't be gross, you're part of the body. Disconnected body parts, they die. And the body suffers. It suffers. Don't be disconnected. Don't be partially connected. That's gross. Don't be gross. Be engaged. So what does that look like? For some of you, it's embracing what we talked about this last summer in July and August. To just embrace and adopt the mission of this church. To help people find and follow Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, it's your Jesus-given mission to be intentionally investing in the people in your life who are unchurched or dechurched or far from God because the fact is you don't know how close they might actually be. It's time for you to begin intentionally showing them unconditional and sacrificial love so when the opportunity arises to invite them to new life or invite them to your small group or invite them into a spiritual conversation, you will be positioned 
because of the relational trust that you've built over time. For others of you, it's, it's time to step into serving. And we want to hear and see more and more stories like we did, day, did today of transformation. And the other investment you make in your fa- other than the investment you make in your family, there's no greater investment of your time than the local church. Because the church, this is the epicenter of God's activity in our city and in our world. And to the degree that we participate, we will see great things happen. Amazing things. Because whenever the body of Christ is active in a community, that community thrives. People thrive. Marriages are more healthy. And on and on it goes. And I know we look in the mirror, you go, I'm, I, I, we think I'm not that special. There's not really anything that I, significant I can offer. What, I, what can I possibly do to make a difference? And Jesus say, are you kidding me? You are the light of the world. If you believe in, if you follow me, you become the light of the world. And when you flourish, others will flourish. And our simple mission is to help people find and follow Jesus because as most of us can attest, following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. How do we help people find and follow Jesus as a local church? How do we help people grow and transform? By engaging them in the life and the mission of our church. So before we eat and play, I just want to give you quickly a few ways to be engaged and help engage others. Number one, a couple months ago, I talked about investing and inviting when it comes to the unchurched and the de-churched people in your life. When it comes to inviting, I often say, don't just invite someone to church. Invite someone to come sit with you. It's, fair, it's subtle, but so different. So listen for come sit with me opportunities. In this room, uh, are, are a few empty chairs, but when we're set up like normal, there's several empty chairs. We get a closet with hundreds of empty chairs. Every empty chair around you and in this building is an opportunity. It's an opportunity provided by people who have given generously of their time and their resources. Some of you, not some of you, all of you, you know someone. Someone you know and care about could be and should be sitting beside you in one of those chairs. So one of the first ways to help you engage in this just practical inviting, practice of inviting is listen for come sit with me opportunities. So I'll give you three knots to listen for. The first knot is this, is whenever someone says, I'm not in church, you immediately say, well, come sit with me. They say, we're not in church, or I'm not really church people. Oh, you should come sit with me. It doesn't matter who's preaching, it doesn't matter what the subject is, you just automatically say, hey, come sit with me. The second knot is when someone says, things are not going well. My marriage, not going well. My lack of marriage, not going well. My kids, my finances, my job, things are not going so well. Oh, come sit with me. Come sit with you. Yeah, come sit with me at church. Our church is all about people for whom things aren't going well. I don't know who's preaching. I don't know what the topic is. I never remember. It doesn't matter. Just come. Come sit with me. The third one is, I'm not prepared for it. I'm about to get married. I'm, I'm not prepared for this. Just, I just got married. I thought I was prepared. I'm not prepared for this. I, I just started a new job. I just got accepted to this new school. I, I, I don't feel prepared. I just moved here. Not prepared. Just had our first child. Thought I was prepared. Not prepared. I just got divorced. I'm not prepared for what comes next. I, I'm about to become an empty nester. It's kind of messing up my world. I'm not prepared. Come sit with me. 
And here's the good news and the bad news. Most people won't, but you get credit. But imagine if every new lifer in our community, hey, come sit with me. And in most cases, they won't. But you need to know, it takes like four to five times for people to ultimately say yes to an invite. But finally, the day comes, they say yes. It may take five or six things. And here's the thing. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of you asking that question, of making that invitation. You may be number three in a series of five that it's going to take to get them where they need to be. And here's what I know. When that person finally says yes, you're going to be scared to death. It'll be like, oh, I hope Chad doesn't say something stupid today. Please don't do a chainsaw concubine message on Mother's Day. I hope the music's not too long. I hope it's not too short. I hope it's just right. I hope to meet the nice people. And suddenly, you know what you're doing when you're inviting people to church? You're evaluating your church the way I want you to evaluate it. Because you're evaluating it through the eyes of your unchurched, de-churched, agnostic friends and family. And either you're going to be proud and you're going to send me a message and it's like, oh, I just love our church, I brought a friend. Or you're going to send me a message saying, I brought a friend, it was a disaster, fix it. And these are the complaints that I want. Because we are on mission with our Heavenly Father. Number two thing in being engaged. For some, it's of you, it's time to get in or continue to participate in a small group. This is where you feel accountable. This is where you feel a sense of belonging and a sense of care. Every once in a while, someone's like, well, I was in a group, and you know, a couple of individuals or two other couples, like, they didn't show up. We kind of fell apart. Okay? And? I mean, if you had an 18 or 19-year-old son or daughter, and they went off to college, and they found a local church in their community, you're like, oh my gosh, my college student out of town is going to church, and then three weeks later... They call you like, ah, I didn't really like that church. You're not going to go, all right, we'll just give up on church. No, you're going to tell them like, okay, honey, go find another church. You don't just give up on church, right? And some of you, you've had kind of a bump in a small group experience in the past, but don't give up on community. And if maybe it's beginning to feel a little dry for you, that doesn't mean it's time to leave. It's likely it means it's time for you to lead, not leave. We're constantly looking for individuals and students and adults to, who are willing and felt called to lead a small group. So this is your opportunity to engage. And the third thing is most of you who are listening, listening to me, you already do this, but not all. If you're not, it's, it's time to pick an area and volunteer somewhere. And the thing is, I, I know you're busy. The fact is this whole church, we have been built by very busy people all of whom give above and beyond their busy professional jobs, some over their medical diagnosis because they're a little crazy, but they're in it. All of whom who give above and beyond their very busy professional jobs. We couldn't do what we do without you. So grateful. And all of you benefit from those who are serving. And the last thing is, for some of you, it's just time to start giving. Or it's time to, start, time to increase your giving. It's time to pick a percentage and say, God, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the body, and I'm part of it, and I want in. So I want to be in on what you're up to. So I'm going to take a percentage of one of the things that I treasure the most, my money, and I'm going to begin to help fund what you want to accomplish in this city. For some of you, you've been locked into the same amount for a long, long time. And it's time for you to have more skin in the game. 
Because maybe your income has increased, but your generosity hasn't. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I want your heart here. He wants your heart here. And the more you give, the more you will have a part. You'll have a vested interest in how we are being and functioning as the kind of church that God has called us to be. And as we, the caveat we always give, if for some reason you don't believe in or trust in this church, like that's a whole other conversation, but fine. Don't give here. Figure out a church in the community you believe in and give there, but give so that we as a church can function as God has called us to be. Listen, if our city and world ever needed more healthy, vibrant, mission-driven, Jesus-centric churches, it's now. There has been so much disunity in the church in America. There has been a loss of influence. Much of that we brought on ourselves, and we have been reduced to a voting block. And in this generation, do you know why? our 20 and 30-somethings are deconstructing their faith. It's because they were handed a faith that's easy to deconstruct. They were handed a Bible tells me so faith, but when Jesus sat with those guys, he didn't say, hey, you just wait. 300 years from now, there's going to be a book, and then it all begins. That's not how it happened. We have to anchor this generation and the next and anchor ourselves in the event that launched the movement that brought us the Bible, the event of the resurrection. Because against all odds, the ecclesia of Jesus changed the world once and redefined what it means to be human. And by God's grace, with your help, perhaps God would use us to bring about some of those same changes in our community, in our nation. We are the stewards of the movement that Jesus inaugurated and the responsibility for this generation of the church and the faith of the next is in our hands. And we need every one of you to be engaged in that kind of a movement that God has called us to be and to pass to the next generation a church that community that brings hope and life transformation. I want to invite the band on up. Again, I can't thank you enough for those of you that have, have been and just, you just are. You're fully engaged. You're fully invested in the difference that you're making. For others of you, I'd like to hear from you, even before you leave today. Maybe you message me later today. You don't know how, how to do that. You come see me. I will give you a way to message me. If you're watching online, you can message us. But let me know what your next step is. Because you already, I already suspect you know. And just let's have a conversation because then I and others that are already part of this community and already invested, we will help you take that next step. Let me pray. Father, I think I'm just, I'm humbled. There's no way that I deserve to be a part of any of this. The only thing that has me standing up here and for those of us that started this six years ago is the indescribable, immeasurable, incredible love and grace and mercy shown through your Son to us. And we want other people to know about it and to experience life, new life in this life. So I pray your blessing on everyone that's listening to my voice and those that aren't here this weekend but that have been invested with their time and their love, their compassion, their passion, their finances to make this happen, to move this forward in our city and beyond. I pray, Father, that you would multiply the stories of what we heard today. 
And I pray for everyone that right now, they're just they're struggling, they're holding on to their faith by their fingernails. That you would somehow use us as a community to help be their strength in this time. That they, you would give them the courage to share with somebody in this community and that you will help us to be wise and discerning how we come alongside them and be their strength for however long they need it as they work through this. Father, we want to be a part of what you would do in this city of Wichita. Every day we turn on the news, there's so much hopelessness, so much pain, so much division. Please, God, use us as a community to bring light, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring unity. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.